What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doster and Deshaun podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. We are brought to you by our partners, over at Bet Rivers. My name is Rob Doster. That gentleman that you see there with me is the one and only Coach Deshaun. <laughs> we, uh, we talked about this a little bit over the weekend on, on, on the locker room session. I don't know how many of you guys were able to hear it, but Deshaun is now coaching at Wheeling University in West Virginia, and he is kind enough to join us live from the uh, – is that the coach's room? Are you in the locker room? Where are you at right now? Co- coach's room. Make sure you keep it down, everybody. Otherwise, you may get me fired. So – no, you're not, you're not. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. No, I, we won't let them, man. We won't let them. <laughs> we, we got people on this day. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So, did you get the win over the weekend? Give me, give me the word. Ooh, no, we did not. Um, got got a little, got trampled a little bit. Uh, great first half and second half, just uh, we fell apart a little bit. But so, uh, uh, so Coach Deshaun is still uh, is still over his career, huh? Yeah, man. This is a tough. <laughs> this is this is a tough three games right now, but. Guys are getting better, and we're in the gym. So their effort and their heart's in the right place. It's just a matter of uh, finishing the game strong, man. We had leads all all three of these games, and we let them go in the second half. So so you mentioned finishing the game strong, and you mentioned yeah. leads in the second half and letting them go, <laughs> which is a perfect segue exactly. to what happened on, uh, on Sunday afternoon between Michigan and Wisconsin. And I think, you know, we're going to get into Creighton a little bit, and, and I do want to have a little bit of a discussion about the player of the year race with you. Um, yeah. as well as uh, just, I mean, we got to talk about Loyola and Drake and what that means for the Valley. But the biggest talking point coming out of this weekend is Michigan and how good they looked and that win that they had over Wisconsin. And, and I just, I'll tell you what, man, coming out of a, a COVID pause um, where they didn't play for three weeks was just so unbelievably impressive. So just give me, before we kind of dive into the nitty gritty of it, give me your overall impressions of the game, impressions of Michigan, impressions of Wisconsin. What'd you take away, coach? game it was an, it's one of my favorite games because it was half court basketball the entire time it was ball screens and reads and finding people and making plays it wasn't just like you know which i mean i enjoy watching an athletic game but i wasn't much of an athlete uh so i like watching the part of the game where i enjoyed to play and wisconsin was great um in the first half michigan was great as well but they it was a, it was another level the second half like it was such, it was like such a close game, and just to see how well Hunter Hunter Dickinson did on the like he basically won them the game with his uh with his activeness and how well he was on the glass. Yeah, I mean he was he was just a monster, yeah, an, an absolute monster. And and for me, you know, I, I wrote about this a little bit, um, but the most impressive part to me was in the second half. Like the thing about Wisconsin is like they don't beat themselves, right? They they no, don't right. they don't commit a bunch of turnovers. Um, they're going to try to drain the clock. Like they, they are a difficult team to come back on. And Michigan was down by 14, and they came yes. back and won. And the way they did it was just by basically sitting in a stance, 
for 30 seconds every single possession and making sure that Wisconsin just either – like it was a shot clock violation, it was a rush shot at the end of the clock. Like exactly. they just played unbelievable, terrific, disciplined, well-coached. Like everything you want out of a half-court defense is what Michigan did in the final 20 minutes. And that, that alone is impressive to do that on the road against a team as good as Wisconsin. But the fact that they did it coming out of a pause, like, okay – You've, I'm assuming you've had injuries in your career where you were out for like two weeks before, right? So just yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of take me through one, what that does to your legs when when you're out for that that amount of time in the middle of the season, and two, like how impressive it is to kind of like be able to to work through the second half of a game when you really haven't played, like you were they weren't in game shape. You know, the, uh, Isaiah Livers prior to the game had a quote where he said, "Our first practice back felt like the first practice in the summer." So just kind of take me through like what that does to your legs and, and kind of how quickly you can lose your shape. I mean, like as a player, if you've if you're in the middle of the season and you have to take any time off, it's is it kills you. Like any anytime you get out of rhythm from your normal schedule, like what you would normally do, your practicing, your whatever the case may be, lifting, all that stuff. When you get thrown off for like a week, it's almost as good as being out of shape. It's it's literally the same thing. So it was impressive to see them come back and play the way they did. But it also lets you know, like, Jawan Howard knows what he's doing. Like, he's he's seen his share of injuries as a player and knows how hard it is to come back. And then these things are as, as, as uh, handicapped as everybody is with COVID this year. Mm-hmm. It, it shows that how much, you know, I want to say foresight, but more or less just how prepared, how, how, how much he got these guys ready. He prepared them. He, he probably didn't kill them in practice, but he definitely got them – somewhat conditioned the best that he could to prepare them for this game. Like you're going to get, you're going against Wisconsin at Wisconsin. Like you can't show up. Like granted they did, they were down 14, but it didn't look like they were dragging. You know what I mean? They, they seemed, it was just like they needed to get some, some kinks straight and they straightened them out the second half. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first half that we up, it was, so this is this is courtesy of Dylan Bur- Burkhart, um, who, who digs up these stats. He runs UM hoops. Like it, every Michigan yeah. fan knows who he is. Um, in the first half, Michigan allowed 1.37 points per possession. In the second half, Michigan allowed 0.58 points per possession, which is like 0.58 is basically like the Bucks playing against my men's league team. Exactly. 1.37 <laughs> like points per possession is like you're not getting the <laughs> yeah, like the Warriors playing against my men's league team, more or less. So it, it's yeah, it, it was it was pretty unbelievable um, the the turnaround that they made. So like, are are you with me that Michigan like without question third best team in the country, number three team in the country? Because to me at this point, it's like we had all the day. You know how much content we did that I thought was good content on like yeah, there's no third best team in the country, and now all of it's just like yeah, that was that was pretty fucking dumb. It goes back to it goes back to our, our last show where we talked. It was like, do you think Villanova's a good? If you do you think they're the third best team? I was like, yes. Until we got to see how Michigan does coming mm-hmm. out of the pause, because I felt like Michigan as a whole team is a better team. First half, I was worried. Uh, lean forward, and these guys were posting up Mike Smith. They were getting like good. They were getting good shots and taking advantage. Tons of post ups, tons of ball screens, getting where they wanted to. So I was worried about Michigan defensively, but uh, I mean. Like you said, that second half turnaround, like that was an eye opener. Like I was sitting there watching the game, and I was just like, I mean, there's nothing else to say. But they sat down, like you said, and just strapped up the second half and did what they're supposed to do. So yeah, yeah third best team, third best team, man. Really, then, really, yeah. really impressive comeback, man. And, and look, they when they roll out that lineup where they got 
They got Dickinson at the five. They got the three big wings with with, with Livers, Franz Wagner, and who played uh, great. Who played great. Who Livers? I Livers played great, but I love like the just the the little stuff we got from Franz. Like Franz played great, bro. Like it's just so difficult to guard when you have someone that big that makes that has to make like Rivers and Potter step out. Like Rivers and Potters are are good players. They didn't kill like I expected them to last night, but they're still good players. And it's you can still see the mismatch when Franz is stepping out on the perimeter. Like these guys are kind of like in areas they don't feel comfortable in. You can see it by the way they're defending the ball. So like Franz is I'm pulling for him to go into the draft. So yeah, I know I, I think I think he's probably the best prospect in maybe even in the Big Ten. Um I don't think that he necessarily has like the star power, but he does all of the little connective things that make a basketball team run. Like there were times in the second half where he was switching on to Demetri Trice and like mm-hmm. he would slide and keep Demetri Trice in front of him. And, and like, and that's no easy task. Yeah. I mean, you, you love, you love Trice. And, yeah. And I still do. Around, he I still do. Fronts. Like he, yeah. he blocked shots. He jumped past the lanes. Um, I don't, he didn't, he, he still isn't quite shooting it as well as I was hoping that he would, but like that'll yeah. come. He, he's, he's young, but it's the, it's the quick passes. Um, around the perimeter to keep the, the the offense moving. It is the cuts that kind of create some space. Like he does all of the little smart things that you need to be able to do to make an offense run. And he's he's a perfect role player on this team. He's a would be a perfect role player in the NBA. But yeah. but the, the larger the point is well. yeah. the game well. The larger point is when you get those three big wings out there with Hunter at the five and Eli Brooks just like yeah. such a pest on the ball at the point. You know, that's that is a very, very, very good defensive team. And I also I do think it's worth noting that I think this is a good matchup for Michigan in the sense that um, Micah Potter and Nate Reavers weren't able to to make uh, Michigan pay for yeah. having a guy that like a kind of like a landlocked five in Hunter Dickinson. Um, I know that that Wisconsin was doing a lot of ball screen stuff down the stretch, but like that's not their bread and butter, right? That's not – they don't want to have Demetri Trice and ball screens on every possession. If you have them doing that, it means you got them out of what they wanted to do. Um, and, like, Dickinson, man, he beat the hell out of Potter and, and Rivers. You want to hear a crazy stat? He really did, though. This is a crazy stat. Hunter Dickinson had 15 rebounds in that game. Yeah. Do you know what Potter and Reavers combined for? Like three or something. So they barely zero. Were. I was about to say, they didn't have anything. Like, I'm, zero. Yeah, zero. 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 I didn't think zero was a number, but I, a lot of you not. It was, how can I put it? It was, it was, you could see how much of a fit, like he imposed physicality on these dudes. Like it was, it was a mismatch. Like he, he, he was literally, literally everywhere. Like every rebound he got, five offensive rebounds. He was just like, he was everywhere in the court that these guys were and they couldn't get the ball from him. Like he yeah. literally, like bullied him. I, I hate to say bully because like Potter's is these Potter and Reavers are uh, who I think in the Big Ten are like what you know what Wisconsin usually has is their four or fives, you know. And yeah. they couldn't they couldn't do anything with them. Did you see the block Potter's had? Block block makes an amazing block, and then they get the Hunter Dickinson gets the rebound, puts it right back. Like like he was just everywhere. He played mm-hmm. great. He played great. He had he had three huge offensive rebounds in the second. Yeah, huge. The second half. Like, yeah. like you have to be able if you're if you're Wisconsin. And, and the thing about it that I would be so frustrated with if I was Greg Gard is mm-hmm. that Potter on that on on three of them right had the box out like he had Dickinson pushed under the basket. Dickinson just went up and got it. Right, yeah, like Potter man. Potter was trying to box out but didn't go get the ball. Like that's correct me if I'm wrong. You know more about basketball than I do. 
But the point is, like, after a box out, you still got to go get the ball. You're not just yeah. trying to work the ground. Like, maybe that's a drill yeah. you do in practice, but you got to go get it. And no, you got to rebound it. And sealed it. He went, yeah, he went and got it, man. Credit yeah. him. Rule, rule is, man, if you're going to box someone out and you're afraid that they're going to get the rebound, then you got to at least make sure they don't get it. <laughs> you can't box out and then they get the rebound, too. <laughs> so, like, yeah. yeah. You either box, you box out to rebound it or you make sure your man doesn't get it because it's it's a waste if you don't. And it, yeah, it so the, the the last thing I want to talk about with Michigan and then and, and we can move on to Creighton after this yeah, is yeah. that Juwan Howard, you know, th- there's a trend of coaches that have played in the NBA and made a ton of money playing in the NBA that come to college and then don't have the success that that you would necessarily expect with someone with that level of basketball experience yeah. have, right? And, and, you know, it goes beyond just like Chris Mullen and Patrick Ewing. Uh, there was Terry Porter at Portland. And hold on, if yeah. you want to pick, and I'll find a, I'll find a full list. Clyde Drexler did not do all that well. Mark Price at Charlotte did not do all that well. Michael Curry at Florida Atlantic. Isaiah Thomas. Uh, Dan Marley. Danielle Marshall, right? Jerry Stackhouse. Like, there's a lot of guys – that come back to college and don't necessarily have the expect that you the, the success that you would expect. That's not the case with Juwan. Yeah. And th- there's a lot of reasons for it. And I think a large part of it is like his personality, the way that he can connect to people, the fact that he comes from like Spoh's coaching tree. So you mm-hmm. know, like if you come from that Miami, Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra coaching tree, like you know you're going to be able to, to get guys to play. You're going to establish a culture. Yeah. Uh, anyone that's played with him or played for him and you know this day – just the, the the connection that people have with him. But I think the super smart thing that he did was one, he kept Sadie Washington, who is a guy that like understands how 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 that Michigan team worked, was able to connect with all the players on the team. Exactly. Um, and has a ton of experience in like the recruiting space. Two, he brought in Howard Isley, who is an NBA guy, a, a point guard, um, and a and a player that can like or a coach that can really help you develop that that part of the game. Like Juwan Every big guy in the country should want to go play for Jawan Howard in Michigan, right? Yeah. Now you also got a point guard where you can say, okay, Howard Eisley played like a decade in the NBA. I'm pretty sure he was an all-star for a while. Like, do you right. want to learn how to be a point guard in the league? Howard Here. Eisley. <laughs> Here. And then he brought in Phil Martelli, who spent like 400 years as a head coach at, at, at St. John's. St. Joe's. St. Joe's. St. Joe's. Yeah, St. Joe's. My bad. Um, and there's no better person – to bring in to basically show you like what the day to day is as a head coach at that level than a guy that spent 25 years doing it. Cause like we say this over and over again, the hardest part about adjusting from the NBA to college is that like 75% of your job as a college coach has nothing to do with the basketball. It's dealing with donors. It's dealing with admins. It's working in the athletic department. It's doing media stuff. It's worrying about class checks. It's dealing with the stress of the fact that if your players make a mistake when you're in the NBA as a coach, it's on the player. Yeah. Your players make a mistake when you are a coach in college. It's, it's on the coach, coach for yeah. not being able to have those guys in line. So yeah. um, I, I think Jawan, like he's really, really, really good. And don't get me wrong, but the fact that he gave himself the the support system to be able to make that transition like this right, exactly. is not something that can be overlooked. No, definitely. He did a great job of surrounding himself around people that know what they're doing. And that's what any smart person does. You don't just try to do it on your own. So <laughs> Like shout out to Jawan and then your and to your point, him as far as a coach being able to come in and establish that culture coming from you know Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley and these guys, that's, I mean that's what you want 
for your college team. You want a culture of guys like, like you want to you want to create this culture so these guys when they have new freshmen come in and these guys just fall in line. You establish that culture when he gets there, and I feel like Jawan, being as nice as he is, and also coming from that cloth, he can like he can build that. He's built that. Excuse me, there, Michigan. So yeah, I mean, he's got the credibility everywhere. He's exactly. played twenty five years in the NBA, um, so he can connect with people that want to get to the league, and he can say like, "I know how to get there. I can get you there." He has the coaching acumen, and so he can say like, "Look, if you want to learn how to get better at basketball, X's and O's, like I can teach you how to do that too." Um, like he comes from. Um, like a neighborhood in Chicago that like, I don't think he really wants to go back to all that often. So he can also connect with guys that come from that, that walk of life. So it's like, he's one of these people that everybody he meets in basketball, especially at that level, he's going to be able to to have some kind of bond and some kind of connection with. And when you have, have all of that, plus you happen to be like just one of the most likable and nicest people on the planet. Like, I'm happy to see it too, because I like one, I think college basketball is better when, uh, when when Michigan is good. I think it just makes the the sport and the interest in it better. Um, and two, like it is, it's always going to be fun to see that that connection between like the the Fab Five generation of Michigan basketball and the current generation of Michigan, yeah, Michigan yeah, yeah. basketball. Like, I mean, everybody who didn't love the Fab Five, man. You know what Haters. I'm saying? Like, so, <laughs> it's nice, it's nice to see that that those those generations kind of come together. So. Yeah, I I love what's happening in Michigan. They're fun to watch, and and I apologize to all the Michigan fans for any bad takes that I had <laughs> over the years. Uh, you got anything else to add on the the Wolverines before we can move on? Nah, it's just to your point, man. It's always good to see good people, good things happen to good people, and Jawan's good people, man. So yeah, all right. Congrats um, to coach. Before we get into Creighton Villanova, I do let's just stay in the Big Ten real quick because um, I do think that it's. The player of the year race is an interesting debate, right? Since basically since Luca Garza announced that he's coming back to school, the conversation has been, yeah, Luca's a player of the year. What's the first rest of first team All America going to look like? And I've kind of reached the point where I think, yeah, you know what? Maybe it's Io. I would assume it might be the national player of the year at this point. Um, I, I think you can make the argument that he is the Big Ten player of the year at this point. So. I'm just kind of curious what your take is, what your stance is, and like when you consider things like national player of the year, like what what factors into that that decision making process for you? Uh, to me, obviously, I would look at it as what the player does on their team. Like as far as you look at the stats, that's always the first thing that catches your eyes. All right, let me see the stats. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Luca Garza's stats are phenomenal. Now, Iowa stats are great as well, so you can't like push Iowa's stats off. But Luka Garza's stats are just they, – they jump out. Like, this big guy is out there averaging, like, almost 20 – or 20 points and friggin' double-figure double, double figure rebounds almost. Like, you can't – He's at 24.5 points per game leading the country and averaging 8.4 boards. Right, so he's almost at a double-double. That, that's good. According to that's, my sources, Deshaun, that's good. That's great. I mean, I've heard, I've heard of guys winning the National Player of the Year averaging less than that. So – he should definitely be like on that list. I mean, he's not on the list. He should definitely win. Iowa's been great this year. I'm not going to lie. And just like both teams have had ups and downs. But when I look at the teams and I say, would Iowa be anywhere near where they are without looking at Carson? <laughs> and then I look at Illinois and obviously I can say, I can't, I can't just take Iowa away and say Illinois would be just fine either. But I feel like Iowa takes a, big drastic drop 
in their team, like what their team will be or what their team, like what their team's future will be versus Illinois drastic drop when what their team would be if Iowa wasn't there. Like it, they definitely would take a loss, but they still have Kobe Coburn. They still have Adam Miller. They still, obviously they have, they both have great coaches, but like they still have uh Frazier who was like a, a scorer. He was an Iowa, of course, mm-hmm. but they still have some scoring and their style of play and the way they push the ball. Carbello still like, they can still get where they need to go. This Iowa team, would be possibly Northwestern without, like, without, and that's not a slap to Northwestern in a sense, but this is like yeah, Iowa. I'm going to tell Dion Thomas that you said that. Say, here you go. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for just dragging me. I didn't, I wasn't trying to drag Northwestern because they're a good team, but it's just, you were trying to have, drag Northwestern. I said, I'm not trying to drag Northwestern. No, oh, saying, I, think, I think you dragged Illinois right there. You basically, no, no. Said Illinois would be no, no, no. I said, Iowa, Iowa, if they didn't have Luca Garza, would be Northwestern. Oh, okay. It would be like a Northwestern team with as far as like spacing and if they're getting shots in the perimeter. And I mean, they'd, they'd be a good team, but it it's like Luca Garza brings a scoring element in the paint that opens up so much for the shooters, like you talked about before in the past. And I mean, with Io gone, it would open up space for other guards to like, you know, push the ball in transition and make plays. And granted, he's a great player in college basketball and a great player on their team. I just feel like it'd be Luca Garza. He's the he's the bigger piece for his team. Okay. I'm going to try to talk you into Io Desunmu. I don't know you if it'll work. Okay. But I, I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm kind of at the point where I think Io deserves the award. Um, first and foremost, I, I think that um, part of the issue – like I agree with every, everything you said about Luca, And like what I'm saying right here is basically like saying – Okay, is Luca the national player of the year or like the runner up for national player of the year? So I'm not saying that Luca Garza is bad. I just want to get that out of the way because every time I say something negative about Luca Garza, like, why do you think he sucks? Like, well, no. Saying the dude is the second best player in college (laughs) basketball is not not, slap in the face. So the issue with Iowa, right? The reason why we don't think that they are necessarily a national title contender is because of the shit that's going on on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that that Garza is not fully to blame because there's plenty of guys on that team that are not good defenders. But the fact that he yeah. is kind of ineffective guarding ball screens, forcing them to play that zone um, that is not very good, is, is that's kind of like the root of the issue that they have for me. So that's that's the first part of it. The second part of it is that like the reason why we all love Luca is because he's a statistical outlier, right? Well. Averaging 24.5 and 8.4 boards is like, it's really good. But I want to tell, I, I want to set the stage for you on this. I had to assume was numbers this season 21.7 points per game, 6.2 rebounds per game, 5.1 assists per game, right? I went back and I checked in Basketball References database, which goes all the way back to the 1992 1993 season. Yeah. Only two other Division I players have put up those numbers at those thresholds for an entire season. One of them was some guy that played for Moorhead State in 2004 that I've literally never heard of in my entire life. The other guy was Penny Hardaway in 1992. Averaged 22, 7, and 6 or something like that. If you want to throw in Io's 40% three-point shooting, nobody has ever had the season that he's having right now. And look, this is also a little bit of fun with small sample sizes, but like he's had, like he is having a statistical, uh, statistically outlier season. Uh, which is something that I think is worth noting. 
I would say that Illinois is a better basketball team than Iowa. I think they're they're more of a threat to win a national title. And the other part of it is like Iowa is the guy that takes over down the stretch for for Illinois. I, I can't tell you how many games they they would not have won if it was not for Iowa taking over down the stretch. And and Friday was the perfect example. Like Illinois was downright bad at, at Nebraska. Like they were not a good team. They probably should have lost that game. But Iowa scored 22 of his 31 points in the second half. He scored 10 straight at the end of regulation and five straight at the start of overtime to basically ensure that Illinois did not pick up a a terrible win. Um, And if you look in just Big Ten play, Iowa is second in scoring to Luka. Um, Luka's averaging 22 in conference play. Iowa's averaging 20.5. He's second in the league in assists, and he's top 25 in the league in rebounds. Um, So for me, like – I definitely think it's a conversation. I understand the people that are going to say it's Luca because of all the reasons that you just mentioned, right? Like, yeah. a, a, the, it's not wrong to say Luca Garza is the best player in college basketball because he he really might be. But I think with when you include everything involved in the conversation, I, I mean, Io Io is at the very least right there, um, and there's a chance that that he might end up being the guy to to kind of step in front of Luca. And I, I've I it's think very possible with those, I think, those numbers is very possible. Yeah, I mean, he's just. He's awesome. I love him, and I just wanted to 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 put that into the uh, to the ether, so it's something that we can kind of think about and talk about, and, and hopefully it generates a little bit of discussion um, at this point in the season. All right, talk to me about your Creighton Blue Jays. They smacked Villanova on Saturday. Man, uh, I remember. I, like, I think it was like last week or a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, oh, what would you want to add to a Creighton's team? And I was like, you know what? I feel like they just need a really big, like you know, a big center. To help out, Christian Bishop is big, but when they play against bigger teams, it might. Let me shut up. You know, he dunked all over Villanova during this game. Like he played absolutely tremendous, and it was awesome to actually get a chance to see Zagorowski play the mm-hmm. way that we all were waiting for him to play this year. And I feel like he was he he was waiting on a big game to go out there and just play tremendous, and he did. I was him, Balak. I was just so impressed with. Creighton as a whole, man. Like they play fast, they play together. They all were dangerous at the same time. Like between, I mean, I can't even pick. Like honestly, Jefferson played great. Uh, Bishop played great. Like they all played great, man. And and Villanova, I mean, they Colin Gillespie didn't show much, and JRE did not step up into the into this game at all, really. Uh, Justin would play great more. He played good. Um, but it wasn't enough. Like Villanova, they were too lax. Like it seemed like they were, I don't, I don't want to say lax, but they were a step behind from the beginning of the game. You can even see like just even when the game was like close, like Creighton's energy and their pace, everything, like they look like two completely different teams. Yeah, it's it's weird because it feels like, it feels like every time Villanova plays Creighton, um, it, it, like Creighton just has the better of that matchup. And I think that their SID tweeted out a stat that since Creighton entered the Big East, um, Villanova has lost by more than 15 points 10 times in, in seven or eight oh, years or whatever that is. Ten times. Yeah, 10 times. Like it's basically okay. once a year, once or twice a year, they've lost by more than more than 15 points. And four of those times, Creighton was the one that beat them. Um, and – you know, a lot of that was I don't know if you remember like the the Doug McDermott, Ethan Roggy teams, where yeah, yeah. Like just I, I it was actually one of like my 
one of my favorite memories from cover, covering college basketball was a game where Creighton, when they had that that team and they were rolling, went into Villanova, went into Philadelphia, and at the first TV timeout, they were up twenty-seven to seven and it hit nine three pointers. Ethan Rogge had five of them, and like four of them were, were like legit, like thirty-three footers. Like the dude was like a step over half court, just caught it and fired it, cash, caught it and Ballard, fired it, cash. Ballard had one night right before the uh, the the C over there and I was sitting I was like no cash like it was it was a it was such an entertaining game to watch it wasn't like one of those because like as the game started to go along you started to see like Creighton distancing themselves away from Villanova and you know how you watch those games you're like oh it's over let me change the channel because they're getting ready to get like that's how entertaining it was to watch the game like that's how high paced Creighton was playing how well they're playing and how well they're playing together like I couldn't even, like I didn't feel comfortable like turning away from the game. I was just yeah. like, I want to see what else they do. Like they played great. Yeah, and and it really showcased what Creighton's ceiling can be. Exactly. More than anything else, like we 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 know that when they're not making their shots, and when Christian Bishop is not playing well, and when they're kind of faced with a team that can kind of out tough them out physical a little bit, like that that they're in a little bit of trouble. But like. When they get it going and they're making their threes and Marcus Zagorowski is playing like the Marcus Zagorowski that we've expected all season long, they're awesome. And we we finally saw that on uh, on Saturday. And it feels like it's one of the first times we've seen it all season long. Like we've just been kind of waiting for them to get there. Like, And I get it too a little bit, right? Like Zagorowski had the knee surgery. He had the, the hamstring injury earlier this year. Like he has not been at 100%. And like on Saturday was the first time that he really looked like he was at 100. percent He looked great. He looked great. Yeah, was, and I'm happy for him. He deserves it, man. He stuck it out. He's been playing uh, not up to his. I know you could tell by the way, like when you watch the games, man, and things aren't going the way he expects. You can see it on his face. Like he's not playing to the level that he knows he wants to play, and he's like kind of, you know, playing well, but like not great. Like he like he was last season, and to see the look on his face during the game, man, he looked. It was almost like you know relieved, and he was happy, and he was hoping, bro. It was it was a good it was a good sight to see. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, Creighton definitely got to go, and that that is a they a dangerous basketball team. All right, so the, there was some other stuff that happened this weekend. Like Virginia got a nice win over North Carolina. Alabama scored 115 points. Um, Tennessee lost. Missouri lost. I don't think that those are really. Uh, I mean, whatever. It's the SEC. It's so weird this year. I, I'm I'm much more interested in um, Drake and Loyola, and I think that. By the way, that, I was right. I was right. By the way, what that they were split? Yeah, that, that knew. I just knew it would happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that Sunday's game was was hideous to watch. But yeah. I mean, Drake had to have that win. You know, so you know. First and foremost, before we talk into their like about their actual like profiles and what they kind of look like, just kind of take me through what are your takeaways of these teams, and do you think either of them are are kind of built to be able to make a run in March? Because I honestly, I, I think Loyola is like I think this is a legitimate like top twenty team, a team that can make a run to the second weekend if not further. I think that they're they're significantly better than the team that made the Final Four in two thousand eighteen. I mean, it's always tough to to say what what team, like, what they'll do, more or less. Like, what teams will do when they get into the tournament. Like, teams are always predicted to do great, and then they don't. And there's teams that are predicted to get get taken out. So, um, like, you really never know when it comes to tournament time. Both teams haven't really played anybody during the year, so it's hard to, like, even 
grasp how they look against, you know, uh, what is it, a quad one competition? So yeah. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm hoping it'll be. I love Cinderella stories. Like that's, that's my deal. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping they can come out and, and surprise some teams. I hope both of them make it. I feel like they deserve, they deserve it, especially the season that they're having right now, regardless of, you know, strength of schedule and everything else. I, I feel like these two teams would be great to have in a tournament, and I feel like, you know, it'll be good to see them win games if, if, if they can. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, the big thing that's going to stand in the way for Drake is they just lost Tank Hemp Hill. Um, and, I mean, he broke his foot. He's supposed to be out for four weeks. Uh, like, if he's coming back, it's going to be, like, right as the tournament starts. Um, so you, well, you won't get that normal. Yeah, that's tough, man. That's tough. But uh, for me, like, as of right now, I think both of them, like, really should be in the tournament. The, the one thing that Drake was missing was, like, that elite win. Uh, mm-hmm. They had – uh, the only reason they have a top 100 win right now is because Missouri State beat up on a Bradley team that had their like four of their top six players suspended uh, for their weekend series. So they went from being like 110th to 87th in the net. So that's why Drake now has um, a top 100 win. Uh, but um, Loyola was their first quad one win, and they had to get that because they had a loss to Valpo, which was a quad four loss. And like, your metrics can look great, but if you don't have a quad one win, and you have a quad four loss, like you're probably not going to get an at-large bid to the NCAA. Yeah. They, they had to get this win. Uh, Loyola, on the other hand, like they, they kind of needed it too. Like their metrics are great. But again, this is their first quad one win, winning at Drake, who's like 30th in the net or something. Like yeah, that. Exactly. Um, the, the best case scenario for both of these teams was to get a split, and they got the split. And the thing about Loyola, the reason why I like them so much is they are just so damn good defensively and it's not like anything gimmicky and it's not like they're like doing anything that's crazy it's just like they're over denying passing lanes they are uh, applying like a ton of ball pressure they have some rim protection the uh the the big guy in the middle i can never get his name uguac or something like that um talented with names either so don't worry (laughs) they got they got cam crutwig who provides you with like the the playmaking offensively and he's like a six foot eight 270 pound like first team all fat guy um all america well, you know how they say you got, you got McDonald's all Americans. Well, he's a he's a he's an all McDonald's American is what he is, and like he's such a great passer out of the high post. They run their offense through him, uh, but he's complimented by the fact that they got the Ugwa kid. That's like just a, and a phenomenal athlete that can protect the rim, that can catch lobs, like that really gives him a different dynamic in the front court. And it's it's they're oh man, they're just so good defensively. They're just so good defense, and when you have that kind of floor. In terms of being that good on the uh, defensive end, and you have the the kind of players and the and the, the athletes that can um, that can match up with the high major teams like that, that is kind of the differentiator, right? The, and and I always believe this that like the the skill level between like um, the high majors and the mid majors and the mid majors and the low majors and even like Division One to Division Two and Division Three, the, the skill level is not necessarily all that different. It is like the physical tools. It is the fact that guys that are six foot three and doing one thing in, in maybe at, in like the the Patriot League or in Division Two, uh, those guys are six nine and doing those same things exactly. at the, the high major level. Like that's that's the differentiator. And when you have a guy that can kind of like help you match up with them, like like Loyola does, like that's that's significant. That matters a lot. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. So anyway, um, day, I think it's about time that we let you get back to work so you don't get fired. You just finally got a coaching job, but listen, man, I always appreciate it. Um, and hopefully we will have a, uh, a really special guest 
for uh, a later episode this week. And, and you know, well, we'll have some more information on that later. But, uh, but yeah, that's my tease. That's my tease. So, Deshaun, always a pleasure. You, hey, look, you got to get me a W. I'm trying. I'm going to do my part. W, make it happen. We cannot feel the 68 <laughs> wins only. Okay. I understand that. I understand the reputation. I understand the reputation. I'm going to do my part to uphold it. I got you. Get it done. All right, man. I appreciate the time. Let it, bro. Always. Be good.